You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, let's go one more time to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 this morning. While you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, we would love nothing more than to give you a Bible this morning. There are stacks of Bibles on the tables in the back of the room. That's our gift to you. Take one now. Take one on your way out of worship today. Just start reading that Bible and see what happens in your heart. See what happens in your life. 1 John chapter 3. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for His people. So listen carefully to these words, God's words. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Next Sunday, I will be away at our Presbytery meeting. Our Presbytery, if you've forgotten what that term means, is our regional network of church leaders. We meet once a quarter. And next Sunday, I will be at Presbytery, and also I'll be doing a site visit of Seaside Church, which is our newest church plant in the Volano Beach area. I want to remind you to continue praying for Seaside Church, for Brady Haynes, the new pastor there, and his family. They have established a strong core group. They launched their public worship gatherings on Easter Sunday, so not that long ago, and now they gather each week on the beach there in in the Volano Beach area. So next Sunday, Jamie and my boys and I will go, and we'll gather on the beach with them as a reminder that Faith Church is with them. That we're with them in our prayers, we're with them in our financial resources. So I'll be there next Sunday, and I trust you will be here for Youth Sunday. Don't forget about that. Come and show your support for our youth group as they lead pretty much everything in the service next week, and as we also recognize our graduates, our students who will be graduating. Today we're going to wrap up this series called Rest Assured. We've been studying 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John for a handful of months now. And technically, we finished 3 John last week, but I promised you that we would loop back to this subject of spiritual warfare one final time. I hope this study of 1, 2, and 3 John has been helpful for you. I hope especially it's been helpful in that now you have a better better understanding of who your enemies are. And that's really where I want to close today, knowing our enemies. Remember the language from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is our Uh, denominational statement of faith. It says that every Christian, so that's you, believer, every Christian is engaged in a continual and irreconcilable war. Now, that's bold language, right? Every Christian is engaged in a continual and irreconcilable war. Well, against whom is the Christian soldier called to fight? That's where we'll begin today, and that'll be a recap. We're going to break this talk down into two main parts. First, 
We're going to recap, review our three chief enemies. Our three chief enemies that we are called to fight against. And then secondly, the new part, is we're going to look at 12 devices of the devil. 12 tactics that the mastermind enemy uses to enslave us, to draw us into sin. So the three chief enemies, and then we're going to zoom in on one of those enemies and look at 12 of his devices. So that's where we're going. We'll start with the three chief enemies. This is the review. You'll remember from our study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that we do, in fact, have three enemies and they work together. These adversaries are allies. Our three adversaries are the devil, the flesh, and the world. In 1st John especially, John talks about the devil or the evil one. Now, we know from the biblical story that the devil, sometimes referred to as Satan, is a spiritual being. In the beginning, he was good. Because in the beginning, everything was good. Sometime prior to the fall of mankind in Genesis 3, the devil rebelled against God, his creator. He took an unknown number of angels, demons with him, and now he has this entourage following him, serving him, trying to lure us away from the God who is both light and love. And the way the devil does so is by planting deceptive ideas. Planting deceptive ideas. He uses the flesh and the world. Now the flesh, this is an interesting term. John doesn't actually use the term flesh in his letters, but the idea is present throughout. When the Bible talks about the flesh being an enemy, it doesn't mean our physical bodies. It means our fallenness, our sinfulness. When you became a believer, when the Holy Spirit regenerated your heart, gave you a new heart with new desires, that was the beginning of a struggle in your life and in mine. A struggle because now we have this new heart with new desires and so we desire to serve God. But at times, we're still tempted to serve ourselves. So you see, the Christian life is a struggle. We have dueling desires. We so desire to serve God, but at times, we're selfish. That's the flesh. That's one of the enemies. And then the third enemy is the world. And we've talked about this time and time again in this study. By now, I hope you know the definition of the world we've been working with. It's that evil arrangement. It's that web, that ever-present web of influencers and influences, people and products. That web that seeks to lure us away from the God who is both light and love. So these are your, my, three chief enemies. And don't lose sight of the fact that they work together. Don't underestimate the attack. The way they work together, the devil is the mastermind. He's the original rebel. He's the author of deception, the one who plants the deceptive ideas. The flesh means that the devil always has an inside man right here in me, right there in you. We have weaknesses. We have weak moments. 
The devil knows them, not because he's all-knowing like God. He's not God's equal. He's just been at this for a really long time. Since the very beginning, he has seen countless people fall. He knows what works. And then finally, the world. The world, well, they're the normalizers and the popularizers. They take these deceptive ideas of the devil and they make them seem normal. They make evil appear good. They make the devil's lies sound like truth. So there is this elaborate, systematic plan that is playing out all around us. We have some serious enemies. But we've also seen throughout John's letters that though the enemies are real... We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to fear. As we shift now into the devil's devices, I just want to begin by reminding you of all the language we've seen in these letters that is victory language, referring to the people of God. 1 John 2, 13, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. That's the devil. You've overcome him. 1 John 2, 14, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 4, 4, little children, he who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John teaches us that the devil has been destroyed, not yet defeated. He is still present and at work in the world, but believer, he does not have power over you. He does not have power over you. You can resist the devil. Or we could put it like this. The devil hath only a persuading slight, not an enforcing might. He can only present the golden cup, but he hath no power to force us to drink the poison. This comes from Thomas Brooks in his really insightful work called Precious Remedies against Satan's devices. I told you in this series that we would loop back to this work because it's so important. In my view, one of the best resources on spiritual warfare that's ever been written. It's right up there with C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Now, Brooks was a Puritan pastor. His language is a little different from ours. He lived from 1608 to like 1680, something like that. So, you know, long time ago, Maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, Dylan, I know you're a theology nerd. I know you read dead guys with long beards. Actually, I don't know if they still have long beards when they're dead or not. I'm not sure how that works, but I'm not ready to find out yet. I know you read all these dead guys, and look, this, this has to be outdated stuff. Like, how could a dude from the, the 17th century, how could he really help us with our struggles today? It must be outdated. Now, listen to me, it's not outdated, and here's why. The devil's tools will change, but his devices don't. His tactics don't. 
Thomas Brooks wrote an entire book, three or four hundred pages, where he exposes the devil's devices. He shows us the tactics the mastermind uses to lure us into sin. See, here's the thing with the devil. His boots don't creak. His boots don't creak. You don't always hear or see him coming. Brooks helps us here. He helps us by showing us what to watch for, telling us what to listen for, telling us how the devil works. So there's where I want to go. This is the new part. I want us to look at 12 of the devil's devices that Thomas Brooks exposes. And as we do this, I want you to ask yourself, which one of these devices has been most successful on me? Where has the devil gained a a foothold in my life? I want you to keep that thought in your mind as we look at these 12 devices. And we're also going to look at their remedies. Now bear in mind, again, this is a three or four hundred page book. All right, I'm going to summarize the first part for you by just stating these 12 points, spending a couple of minutes on each one. But if you find this helpful, pick up the book, Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Here's the first device. He hides the pain. He hides the pain. So here's how it works. The devil, like the expert fisherman, he knows the right bait to use on you, and he knows how to hide the hook really well. And like the fish, you and I see only what appears delicious. He's had a lot of practice, remember? He knows the baits that work. He knows how to hide the hook, hide the hurt, hide the pain. So the remedy, the remedy for this device is to remember that there is always a hook. There's always a hook. It doesn't matter how good it looks, there's always a hook. So don't play with the bait. Here's what Thomas Brooks says. He that will play with the devil's bait will quickly be taken with the devil's hook. What should we do then? It is our wisest and our safest course to stand at the farthest distance from sin. Don't get close to that bait. Don't get close to it. Proverbs 5 warns us men about the forbidden woman. The forbidden woman, by the way, is any woman who's not your spouse. Any woman who's not your spouse. And here's what Proverbs 5 says. The forbidden woman has the appearance of honey. That's the bait. But, Proverbs 5 continues, eventually you discover she is sharp as a two-edged sword. So there's the hook. What should we do then, according to Proverbs 5? Stay away from her door. Don't go near the door. It's the same idea that Thomas Brooks develops here. It is our wisest and our safest course to stand at the farthest distance from sin. Remember, there's always a hook. Device number two. He markets evil as good. He markets evil as good. He takes something that God has said, this will bring destruction in your life, and he tries to convince us otherwise. So the remedy here is to remember the seriousness of sin. Brooks says even those very sins that the devil paints 
and puts new names and colors upon cost the best blood, the noblest blood, the lifeblood, the heart blood of the Lord Jesus himself. Remember the seriousness of sin and that Jesus died for sin. That very sin that the devil says, no, it's just, let me paint it up. Maybe, let me look at, make it look pretty and look like it's not the ugly thing it is. It's not the deformity that it, that it is. That's sin that the Lord Jesus died for. Remember the seriousness of it. Device number three, he makes evil appear trivial. See, this is how cunning the devil is. When he can't convince us that evil is good, his next course of action is to try to convince us that evil is minor. It's not that big of a deal. He tries to convince us that drunkenness, ah, that's, it's just good fellowship. He tries to convince us that pride, right, it's just a good work ethic. The remedy here is to remember the slippery slope of sin. The giving way to a less sin makes way for the committing of a greater, Brooks says. You remember the story of King David? He's on his rooftop. He sees Bathsheba. That one look, that one little lustful look is the beginning of a world of hurt and even death? Remember the slippery slope of sin. Device number four, he highlights our hero's sins. Again, this is how cunning the devil is. He's working right now. He's taking my words. He's taking what I just told you about David, King David, and he's trying to twist that in your hearts. And use it to encourage you to continue in your sin. And here's how he does it. He says things like, he plants ideas like, King David was an adulterer and a murderer and God still used him. Your sin by comparison is small. It's small. You're nothing like the king. So there's no need for you to turn from your sin. Stay committed to it. If God could use King David the murderer, he can continue to use you. Don't worry about your sin. You see how cunning he is? The remedy here is to remember the purpose of these stories, these biblical stories. Why did God see to it to record David's fall? Brooks tells us these stories are landmarks to warn others that stand to take heed lest they fall. It never entered into the heart of God to record his children's sins that others might be encouraged to sin. God didn't give us these stories of David falling or Peter's temper or whatever the example might be. He didn't give us these stories so that we will walk away saying, praise God, I'm not like King David. He gave us these stories so that we will see how easily we could become just like David. Take heed lest you fall. Remember why we have these biblical stories. That's the remedy. Device five. He presents God as one full of mercy. Now, wait a minute. God is one full of mercy, right? God is a God of grace, right? Indeed, he is. 
But here Brooks talks about what he calls the devil's logic. I love that expression. The devil's logic. And here's how the devil's logic goes. You are full of sin. And God is full of mercy. So you just continue in your sin. And God will continue in his mercy. But that goes against the grain of everything we've learned in John's letters. The true, authentic believer struggles against sin. We desire to please the God who saved us. So the remedy here, the remedy against the devil's logic, is to remember that God's mercy makes us new. If you have been saved by grace, you have been transformed by grace. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and you will desire to follow him, to serve him. Brooks says, those that were once glorious on earth and are now triumphing in heaven did look upon the mercy of God as the most powerful argument to preserve them from sin. You see what he's getting at? A right understanding of God's mercy It's not a license to sin. It keeps us from sin. I belong to God now. He's given everything for me. I want to live for him. I want to follow him. Remember that God's mercy makes us new. Device number six, he presents repentance as an easy task. See, the devil wants to convince you that the jump into sin is like a plunge into a swimming pool. You just hop right in there, and when you've had enough, you get out, and you dry off. Maybe you track a little water in the house, but no harm done. A little water never hurt anybody, right? That's what he wants you to think. The truth is that that jump into sin is a lot more like when we see someone falling into quicksand in the movies. It's designed to trap you. You're probably going to end up dragging someone else in with you. And even if you do get out, it's messy. It's messy. So the remedy here is to remember that sin enslaves us. It enslaves By this device, the devil draws many a soul to sin and makes millions of souls servants or rather slaves to sin. Device number seven. He makes us think we're strong. Stronger than we are. He builds our spiritual pride. By spiritual pride, I mean our confidence in ourselves that we can resist temptation. So think back to Proverbs 5, that passage I mentioned earlier, the warning about the forbidden woman. And the warning in Proverbs 5 is don't go near her door. The spiritually prideful man says, I can go near her door, it's okay. I'm strong enough. I won't open the door. I won't even put my hand on the door. But I'm strong enough to walk by it. It's exactly the way the devil wants us to think. And then we take one step closer. One step closer and before we know it, we realize we were not as strong as we thought we were. And here we are entangled in sin now. 
So the remedy for this device is to remember our weaknesses and our weakest moments. Here again, what Brooks has already said to us, it is our wisest and our safest course to stand at the farthest distance from sin. Do you know your weaknesses? Do you know your weakest moments? If you don't, search your heart, search your life and find them. If you do and you're married, talk to your spouse about them. You need to look your spouse in the eye and say, these are my weaknesses. I need your help in protecting me in these areas of life. Device number eight and device number nine are very similar, so we'll look at them together. He makes sin look exciting and he makes holiness look boring. He uses the world here. If you look to the world, listen to the world, you will hear loud and clear that there is nothing you need less than holiness. Holiness ain't going to get you ahead in life. Holiness ain't going to make you happy. I mean, think about it. Can you think of one authentic Christian? I'm talking an authentic, real deal Christian who's a millionaire. Holiness is not going to make you a somebody. You see how the devil tries to convince us. Holiness is something undesirable. You don't want it. You don't need following Jesus. What you need is fame and fortune. Look at the celebrities. Their lives are intoxicating. They are immortal. So the remedy here, the remedy here, and this is an important one, is to remember that things are not as they seem. They're not as they seem. Brooks puts it so well. Outward things are not as they seem and are esteemed. Ah, the secret fretting, vexing, and gnawing that doth daily, hourly attend those men's souls whose hands are full of worldly goods. In other words, one of the devil's great lies is that fame and fortune will grant you happiness. It's one of his great lies. Don't buy it. Remember that things are not as they seem. Device number 10, he entices us to compare ourselves to other people. And in particular, to compare ourselves to other people's sins. See, as long as the devil can keep us focused on someone else's sin, talking about their sin, talking about how dirty their life is, then we will never see our own sin for the destructive and detestable deformity that it is. The remedy here is to remember that the standard is God's character as revealed in His commandments. That man that, comparing his self with others that are worse than himself, may seem to himself and to others to be an angel, yet comparing himself with the Word may see himself to be like the devil. Now here's what Brooks is saying. There is a darkness in you, and there is a darkness in me, a sinfulness in us that we will never see unless we meditate on God's Word. God's word is a mirror. 
It shows us who we truly are, and it's a map. It shows us where to take our sin. We take it to Jesus, to the cross, and there, your sin and mine, it can be forgiven, no matter how dirty we are. So remember that the standard is God's character as revealed in His commandments. Device number 11, He creates doubt. He creates doubt. This has been his tactic since the beginning of time. Remember what he said to Eve in the garden? Did God really say? Did God really say that? The devil wants you and I to doubt God. To doubt the existence of the one true God. To doubt the exclusivity of Jesus. To doubt that God created us male and female. To doubt the institution of marriage as one man and one woman for life. The list goes on. The devil wants you to doubt that you can be forgiven. He will whisper to you, you've gone too far from home this time. There's no turning back. You're too dirty this time. There's no turning back. Expect to hear that whisper and then apply the remedy. The remedy is to remember the truthfulness of God's word. Dwell in it and thus it in you. Dwell in it and thus it in you. It is he that receives the truth affectionately into his heart that shall enjoy the happiness of having his judgment sound and clear. When others shall be deluded and deceived. Man, if there's one thing we need today, it's sound and clear judgment. Amen? I mean, our world needs some sound and clear judgment. We're going to find it in God's Word. Dwelling in the Word of God. Last one, device number 12. He leads us to choose wicked company. Physical and digital. I added the digital part. That's not in the 1600s when Brooks wrote this. <laughs> we will be changed by the company we keep for good or for ill. The remedy here is to remember to establish boundaries. The devil will first draw thee to sit with the drunkard. And then to sip with the drunkard. And then at last, to be drunk with the drunkard. To become the drunkard. So here they are. Here are 12 devices the devil uses to lure our souls into sin. He hides the pain. He markets evil as good. He makes evil appear trivial. He highlights our hero's sins. He presents God as one full of mercy. He presents repentance as an easy task. He makes us think we're strong, stronger than we are. He makes sin look exciting and holiness look boring. He entices us to compare ourselves to other people. He creates doubt. And he leads us to choose wicked company. So, what now? 
We know the devices. What now? Now, we search our own hearts and our own lives prayerfully, carefully. We ask the question, which one of these devices has the devil used on me? Where does he have a stronghold in my life? Which of these devices has been most effective? And once, through prayer, you've pinpointed the device, then you apply the remedy. You apply the remedy. Remembering that believer, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You can break free. You can break free by the power of the Spirit of God within you. Remember what John says to us, little children, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember what John says to us, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. So look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to search your heart. I'm going to search mine too. And when you find which of those devices have been most effective on you, you apply that remedy and ask for help. We're here to help you. I don't care how dark your sin is. I don't care. I am here to help you. Faith Church is here to help you. You can break free. You can keep the faith. And we are here to help you keep the faith. Let's pray. God, my prayer is that right now you are helping people break free. Probably there are people in this room today who are struggling with all sorts of things that we don't want to talk about. Struggling with pornography. Struggling with pride and greed. Struggling with a a pattern of dishonesty. God, help us to see the devices that have been effective on us. By the power of your Spirit within us, help us to apply the remedy of remembering your goodness, your truthfulness, the transformative work that you have done in our hearts. God, we belong to you. And no matter how many times we turn away from you, You stand ready for our return. You are the Father with His arms wide open, no matter how far away we have run. So I ask you, our sovereign and gracious God, to bring people out of the pit this morning. Break the chains of addiction. set people free. For those who need to talk to someone, they know they can't do this on their own. Give them the courage they need today to come and talk with me, one of our other leaders. Don't let them fall prey to that device 
that they are strong. Help them to acknowledge their weakness. To ask for the help they need. We all need help. Break chains. Liberate. We pray this in the powerful, powerful name of Jesus.